What's up, nerds and nerdettes? This is Tyler Mack from the 30 Nerdy Podcast. Welcome back to another week of the show and a very special episode. Now, this is not going to be like your regular episode. We're going to get straight to the festivities. I had the luck and the fortune to sit down with Felix Hosafu from Germany. He is an author of the new book coming out, Catch 42. Now, if you have not checked it out yet, it should be in your local bookstores very soon, by the end of this month. If not, right now you can find it online, anywhere you get great digital books. So I hope you enjoy this episode, Uh, but let's get to it. It's time to nerd up or shut up. Let's get dangerous. Welcome to the 30 and Nerdy Podcast, the flagship show of Badcast Company Productions. Thirty and Nerdy Podcast is an alternate reality radio show, a member of the Legion of Independent Podcasts, and part of the Council of Nerds. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Reach out using the hashtag 30andNerdyPod. You can also find us and other amazing podcasts at podchaser.com by searching The Apocalypse and Pod Nation. Got something to say? Email us at 30andNerdyPod at gmail.com or check out the website at 30andNerdyPodcast.com. Now, sit back, crank it to 11, the nerds are here. Welcome back, nerds and nerdettes, to the 30 and Nerdy Podcast, and I am extremely happy to be joined by author, all the way from Germany, uh, Felix Hotzapfel. Did I say it right? Uh, did, did I do oh, yeah. pretty good? did a good job on that. Thank you. Thank you. And you were telling me off air that it translates in American to wood apple. Exactly. That's, uh, I know it's way easier to pronounce for uh, people of English than that wicked German last name. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are an author of the book that is uh, coming out this month in May um, called Catch 42. And it is that we're now 50 years after the release of the famous uh, dystopian book Catch-22, kind of. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a big staple in American literature, Catch-22 is. And I've gotten to read some of uh, your book, and we were talking off air that it's got me, you know, nervous because I'm like, oh, wow, you know, <laughs> this isn't far-fetched at all because we we are kind of putting us into this this fast track to a dystopian future with the way our societies run not just 
in the U.S. especially, but globally. Uh, so I was extremely excited to get to talk to you when um, when Leslie reached out and said, you know, hey, I think this would be a great opportunity. I jumped on it, obviously, because I love I love dystopian stories, first of all, whether it's TV, movies, books, comic books, what have you. I love dystopian stories uh, because the journey of how we got there is always so possible. You know, it's not so far-fetched that we could get to these dystopian futures. Um, So I just, I I wanted to talk to you uh, initially first. What does Catch-42 refer to? Um, It refers to to different things. So it it started, it's it's more like what inspired me to to write the book. So... Um, one question I ask myself is if George Orwell would write 1984 today and would write uh, 2084, how would that look like? How would the society look like that he would predict? How would the technologies that he would um, predict look like and so on? This was one of the, the starting point of, of my ideas. Then um, I'm a tech guy. So I work in the tech industry for more than two decades. And um, it's always interesting to see um, that even people in the industry, when you do not talk about what's happening today, but what's possible and what's coming next, people are like, that sounds like sci-fi. And it's Mm. like, no, it's not sci-fi. These are the things that are happening today. I'm a strong believer in that we are just at the beginning of a, of a technological revolution. So um, from my point of view, um, in terms of technology, the earth is still flat and um, there's so much more to come and we should keep it with Socrates' wisdom that all we know is that we hardly know anything. So, yeah. um, and, um, and then you mentioned Catch-22, um, that, um, Catch-22 is for me, it's just just a good word and expresses many things. Um, And so I thought I could take it to the next level and just create the opposite of a Catch-22, meaning a Catch-42, which means, um, yeah, the opposite of a Catch-22, to think the unthinkable, to make the impossible possible, to turn Mm -hmm. a hopeless uh, situation into a solvable problem. And... um, yeah, so there are many different things I refer to. And in the book, it's on the one hand, it's a fictional story. And on the other hand, I refer to a lot of um, informations about the status quo in technology, um, to TED Talks that um, offer you uh, more information, more insights about topics or questions I ask. I refer to a lot of literature that inspired me, if it's, um, if it's novels or if it's pro- a lot of professional books that I enjoyed reading, but where I thought it's, it's so interesting, um, but only people in a certain group, usually yeah, professionals read these books and even colleagues of mine know about these books, but they haven't read it. And I think we are at a, at a point where it's crucial that more and more people get involved into the things that are happening right now. So um, that we make the right decisions because there are things to come that will have a fundamental impact on how we move forward with our society and yeah, being humans. Wow. Well, that's, that's awesome. I know that you're, you're really on this mission to 
to pretty much motivate as many people as possible uh, with your book uh, to, to kind of do our part really is, is what I felt like was coming just in the little bit that I've gotten to read of the book. Uh, as far as I got is it, it felt like you were saying like, we all have a part that we can play in, in keeping this dystopian future from happening and in how we handle the evolution of technology. Um, do, do you think that we're heading towards this utopian uh, world? Uh, and uh, if you do, how, how, how fast, how fast are we heading towards this utopian or dystopian future? One thing that um, I didn't like so much about the industry I mentioned I'm working in for quite a while is that people always tell you the next big thing is happening right now and it will be big and it will change everything and it will happen super fast. And um, the world is full of buzzwords that uh, trying to tell you that the next big thing will happen. And so usually I'm not a big fan of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and the developments I describe in the book, I don't know if it will happen in a couple of years or in a couple of decades. But um, there are certain things on the horizon where a lot of experts and scientists agree that these are scenarios that are most likely to happen. And um, so I think that um, the pandemic right now showed that um, we are well advised to, you can't prepare for the unexpected, mm -hmm. but um, there are certain things that you know are likely to happen. And I think we are well advised to prepare before things happen, especially in times, um, everybody's talking about exponential curves right now when it comes to, uh, to the pandemic mm -hmm. and exponential growth. And the same happens with knowledge and development in technology right now, that people say that in, in this century, in the 21st century, the development of, of technology will not be 100 years, but it will be thousands or 10,000s of years of knowledge that we'll gain at the end of this century. And um, so we should better get ready as fast as po possible. And um, I think it's also important that, yeah, as you mentioned, that more people get involved because what happens today that there are some really fundamental questions and, and challenges we are thinking about. And usually this happens by a very small group of people. And the people know today that diversity is key. So why do we work in so many cross-functional teams in, in companies today? Because we learned that it's better to bring different views to the table and um, because that creates the best results. Mm -hmm. and we know that in these little daily things that we talk about, but we don't do it when we talk about the bigger picture of where are we heading to with our society, where are we heading to with our world, um, how should our world look like in 50, 100, 200 years? So, and nobody knows how fast it will go, but it could go very, very fast because we are talking about converging technologies our days. There are certain technologies like artificial intelligence, biotech, quantum computing, robotics that are 
you're converging. And um, so one step forward in one of these technologies could lead to a big step forward in another um, area. And um, so that's the, the, the challenge of our days, yeah, to get prepared, get as many people involved, and also to um, the, the, what we uh, also discussed before off, offline, like the society in general, and where are we heading to with our society, um, that some challenges we face with um, in the Western world, in the Eastern world, wherever, I guess globally today is based on that things are changing very, very fast. And if things are changing very, very fast, this creates a certain level of uncertainty. And that's what, what scares people. And if people are scared, that's not a good mood to be in with a society. Mm -hmm. So how can we decrease that level of fear? And my approach is to have a conversation about these uncertainties. Because once you start to discuss topics, and once you take the time and step a big a step back to take a look at the bigger picture then things get more clear and um, at the end of the day it's up to all of us to to paint that bigger picture together because otherwise very few will paint it for us and it's most likely that it won't match our expectations i think that one thing that i've uh when 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 asking people, you know, what, what do you think the biggest fear as a planet is? And I would immediately normally say clowns, obviously, because I'm terrified of clowns. But I think the greatest fear as a planet is, as you said, the fear of change. Whether it's from one generation to a next, whether it's, you know, the, the what they call the, the baby boomers, they're seeing the transition to my generation, the millennials, you know, like their fear is that we're going to ruin the world, you know, and our fear of the millennials is now the generation Z is going to ruin the world because it's change. It's different because one of the greatest fears, as you said, is the fear of change. And if we're not talking generation to generation, you know, different political sides to different political sides. If we don't have that conversation, then yes, we should fear change because we're not going to be prepared. I mean, as you said, look at the pandemic. Um, we weren't really prepared because we were still arguing with one another, whether we should even have things like CDC, whether we should even have things like science, you know, um, how, how are things in Germany with, with COVID-19, you know, how are lockdowns, how are mask mandates, how are things going uh, in your neck of the, the globe, if you will, with the pandemic still? Especially at the beginning, um, I guess a, a typical German behavior um, played into our cards is give Germans some rules and they'll stick to it. Mm. So, um, so once our um, government came to the point that they said, we recommend that everybody's wearing a mask in public, most people did. Mm. Of course, there are always a few people who don't, um, but yeah, the, the majority was, was fine with the um, activities suggested by the government. This worked very well for, for a long time, and pretty much until winter. Um, 
then things started to change in Germany because other um, countries um, started to prepare their vaccination programs um, and their numbers started to improve. And in Germany and in Europe in general, um, things slowed down a bit compared to the you know, international um, uh, to the international standards. Mm -hmm. And so and that's the, the point where we are right now. Now the vaccination starts to take off, um, but for instance, we are far behind the, the US. My oldest brother is a US citizen. He lives in, in Boulder, Colorado. He was vaccinated with his um, 55 years before my father here in Germany, who's 76 years old, got vaccinated. So, wow. And my brother got his second shot before my father got his first one. So, um, and yeah, Germans, um, we are very competitive. <laughs> and um, so that, um, yeah, people started to be not happy with the government, so much so happy with the government anymore. Mm. And um, yeah, so that's the situation we are in right now. What's interesting with it is that we have an election coming up in autumn this year in Germany. So uh, Angela Merkel will resign and we'll have a, um, a new chancellor after 16 years of Angela Merkel. And um, so this creates an interesting environment for um, having an exciting election, um, having an autumn. But at the end of the day, it's still complaining on a very high level. Our economy is still pretty strong. Um, the, the government protected the people in terms of um, they, most people are still employed um, and all that stuff. So it's yeah, complaining on a high level, but that's also something Germans are very good in. And um, so, um, yes. And um, yeah, one thing when, um, uh, when you started the, the question, what also came in my mind with the, with the change that you were talking about, what I also think is a challenge and that the pandemic showed that, but it's also mentioned within my book is that we're living in times where you don't have that simple answers anymore. So it's not like yes or no, black or white, uh, it's more about not what I, what I know, more about what I believe. There are mm. endless shades of gray in between. And um, the, the generation conflict, of course, it's, it's history repeating. So yeah. That's something that happens between every generation and it's, it's just normal and it's probably part of being human and part of how we progress as a, as a species. But um, combined with these other factors, um, yeah, it gets more challenging. And I think we can see that within yeah, different societies around the globe, that there is more tension than it used to be in the, in the past. Absolutely. Like everybody around the globe knows of the tension in the U.S. of the past five years. Everyone around the planet knows of the rising tensions that we have experienced in the U.S. since 2015. Uh, whether it was politically or socially or economically, it just seems like the last five years have been been really a roller coaster. And I think a lot of that has to do with there was so much change, whether it be social media really started booming 
the last five years. Like everyone has an opinion. Everyone has what they call facts and everyone now has a vehicle to give those. And when people of different generations are arguing about how we should handle change in our finances, how we should handle change in our technology, how we should handle change in our science and our faith and our education, all that stuff. Then you start seeing those, those, those fights. And especially in America where I, as an American can be the first to say we are an obstinate country. We are a very obstinate country and don't like to be told what to do by our neighbor, let alone our federal government or our governors or our mayors or what have you. Um, so I, I thought it was interesting during the pandemic to see how different portions of the earth were, were reacting to this scary thing. Uh, because at the end of the day, no matter where you stood politically, it was scary. You know, people were dying all around the world in numbers that a lot of us had never seen in our lives. Because, you know, at 32, I've never lived in a global pandemic. So <laughs> I was seeing things that I was like, well, I've read about these, <laughs> you know, in history books. I've read about these, but how did they handle them? And what you learn in history books is what we learned over the past year or so is, you, you don't know how to until you have to. There's not a playbook. You know, we weren't left a playbook like, hey, in case this terrible thing happens, you know, don't worry. Here's what you need. We didn't have that. So I think along with that, that conversation about fear of change is this just the fear of the unknown. We had no clue. We had no idea what was going on, how long it was going to last. And for the first time in my life, globally, we saw this almost unity of, we don't know. You know, for the first time as an entire planet, we didn't know what to do. Not just individual countries, the entire planet, we didn't know what to do. And it was terrifying. And that scares people. It does. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's understandable that it, um, that it scares people. And... But what I always think is very interesting, I mean, I spend a lot of time in the US as well because my brother lives there. Uh, we used to run a business who um, had an office in the US as well. And I'm traveling, traveling a lot in, in general globally. It's always interesting to see how different societies are and, um, that, um, and that they are always two sides of the medal. Yeah, that um, you mentioned these tensions in the in the U.S. and what happened in the last couple of years. How did the um, yeah, technological landscape and social media change the society? But I mean that the same happens in other countries and other parts yeah. of the world as well. In, in different, yes, different levels. And um, but what I always admire about the the U.S. is once you want to get things done, then you are very good in getting things done. Yeah, and that's something you proved again with um, now, like uh, yeah, getting up to speed with the vaccination. Yeah, it was like in Germany, we were sitting like, that's how it, how it should be done here as well. Yeah, so, and like, um, yeah, uh, stepping up like the phoenix from the ashes in a very short period of time. And um, so, um, yeah. And of course, the, the unknown that you um, mentioned, I guess that's something 
that's just human. That our evolution, we are not prepared for the unknown. It's mm -hmm. out of our comfort zone. And but we are entering times where we will need to get used to the unknown because things will change and we won't be able to stop it. There is no way to stop change. You only have the choice to design it in the best way possible. So, um, because that's part of the human nature as well. If there is something new and there is a new place where we can go, we'll go there, no matter what it takes. That's human. And um, so, but uh, yeah, again, the, the big challenge in terms of the, the topics I address in my book is um, yeah, to make sure together that we make the right decisions and that we agree on how we move forward. Because something that the pandemic and the technological revolution that I mentioned have in common is both of it don't know any human-made borders or man-made borders. So pandemic, pandemic doesn't care if there is a border and um, technology doesn't care about borders as well. So, and there are very examples in the past um, where leading scientists said it will take a couple of years or decades until X, Y, Z happens. Um, and for instance, um, the, until the first genetical optimized baby will be born. And while the ethical committees around the world were having that discussion, it just happened. And everybody thought it, it's just not possible. It should have taken years. Yeah. And we, but if somebody has the idea and, and makes it, there is hardly anything you can do about it. And, um, and this is just one simple example, but it's a very fundamental example because it's, it really goes to the core of human life. So, and there's just one possibility of things that will get common within the next couple of decades and that are so contradictory to some beliefs and some habits and some things we believe in um, that, um, yeah, the, the tension we have in our uh, society, we really need to be careful to that our society and the things that connect us don't get broke at all and that we get yeah, separated uh, within the society and that there are uh, things that we can't fix anymore and that we need to close the scissors between different groups of the society before we get to a point where the scissor just breaks. So what kind of questions, uh, fundamental questions, should we be asking ourselves coming out of this pandemic? You know, as we, as we slowly enter into post-COVID-19 earth what kind of questions should we be asking ourselves um i think there are plenty of, of questions that we should ask ourselves it's um it starts with how can we collaborate better on a global level because that's something we 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 were not good at in in that pandemic country a did solution a country b did solution b and so on then um transparency and um, culture that's open for, yes, bad things happen. That's the, the way it is. So it can happen to all of us. All of us do mistakes. So um, how do we, how do we get, create a new culture on a, on a global level? Um, and I think an, an interesting question is not only about the pandemic, but about the human behavior in general is 
do we always need to get in serious trouble before we learn our lessons? And where will this lead us? And will we get to a situation where it's just too late to learn our lessons? And, um, and there are, when you talked about the things that um, you scare the most, um, I think for a lot of people, it depends a little bit where you are on the, on the world, in the world, but um, a lot of especially younger people would probably also put climate change or global warming on that list. Yes. And um, as, so, as they should, I think. Yeah, exactly. So how do we avoid that we cross certain tipping points that where there, there is no return? Mm -hmm. And then um, humans have that way of thinking that they think, or, or many people, we are in control. We still have time to react. We know what will happen next. And from my perspective, there are so many things that we don't know. And there are so many things that are out of our control. And um, yeah, so again, the point I mentioned earlier, if there are so many things that are out of our control, what are the things that are within our control and how can we prepare or at least try to prepare um, the best way we could to for, yeah, for the unexpected. So why do you think this, I guess, dystopian genre is so popular? I mean, we have, we have The Walking Dead, we have Westworld, we have um, 1984, which you mentioned earlier, which, you know, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, we do theater together. Uh, his name's David. And he said, in 2015, 2016, he was like, in all honesty, we could produce the play 1984 right now and it would sell out because we're so close. We're, we're living in the very precursor of what he tried to warn us about in his book. You know, the, this, and I was like, I mean, yeah, he makes a good point. What makes dystopian so popular? I mean, cause there's so much out there. There's hunger games is a popular one. Divergent. I mean, there's so much dystopian genre out there that is not just making millions, but it's capturing eyes and attention and mentalities. And what makes it so popular? Very good question. I, I think there are um, several types of storytelling that are not new, but that, are, that have probably been created when we were still living in, in caves and we came back from hunting dinosaurs in the evening and uh, sat at the fire and started to, to entertain each other and started to tell stories. And then there are certain buttons within human beings that you can push, that you create a certain level of attention that people can connect to the story and um, so on. And so there are some, these, these um, strong feelings that we have as human beings, like love. That's why romance isn't such a popular genre. But there is also fear, the what will happen in the future, which is something that probably also is part of our human nature and, and the core of, of human, of being human as well, um, that what happens once we die? Will there be something when we die, that the big unknown of life, 
So, and, and dystopian somehow goes into this, this fear and what will happen next direction. And for me, honestly, it was just a good tool to um, get my message across. Yeah, yes, it's about the future. And what's the best way to make people think? How can I get the, the attention of people? And um, so there were certain technologies and things that are happening right now and that will happen in the near future and the midterm future and the long-term future um, that I wanted to talk about and that I wanted to create an easier access for a wider audience. And then dystopian was just a, a no-brainer that this would be the vehicle for me to first take people, how you said it so nicely in, in our warm-up, deep into the rabbit hole of dystopian fear to then show them the light at the end of the tunnel that that's not the way things need to happen. I'm very, very confident. I'm a very optimistic person. I believe that we humans can do better and we can do much better, especially if we start to collaborate. It's always amazing once people start to collaborate, start to communicate with each other, start to have an, a common target, what we can make happen, what we already did make happen in the, in the, in the history of, of our species. And I don't see any reason why this should be different in the, in the future. But yeah, we need to be careful because we touch some of the fundamentals of life, some of the things that define us as, as human beings, as a species, as a, as a, as a society. And, um, and we are getting to an intersection where it's either we take the right turn and things can progress in so many nice ways, or we take the wrong turn, then we can really screw it up in a very short period of time. Agreed. Um, and, and even though I agree with you on everything you've said, uh, I believe we have some of the same beliefs and the same uh, thoughts on things. Most times, especially, I don't know what it's like over there. Um, over here, if you were to say those words, like we need to, on a global scale, come together and we need to talk to each other and bounce ideas off each other on a global scale you would get called the term globalist. It becomes mm -hmm. a political thing all of a mm -hmm. sudden. And I don't know what it's like over there, if it's the same way, because over here, if you were to start talking like that, even though I agree with you, like I actually got called that at work the other day yep. for saying that, uh, I mean, I, I looked at someone and I said, so if the world starts ending in China, do you not think that it's going to eventually make its way to to Tennessee, the U.S.? Is it not going to end here as well? Because if not, then sure, keep your mentality up. But dollars to donuts, the world starts ending on the other side of the world. It's going to make its way over here as well. So, yes, I guess that does make me a globalist because we do, as a planet, need to help each other. So is, is it like that? Over there, I mean, do you have your 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 detractors and things like that? I, I think that's one of the challenges of our times um, as well is that we are living in a time that would require a higher level 
of collaboration on a global level. Because as I mentioned before, these developments like um, in the fields of AI, in the fields of biotech, in the fields of quantum computing, they don't care about human-made borders or man-made borders. Um, so, and at the same time, we are heading in the other direction with leading parts of the Western world, like the US and Europe as well. It's, um, it's slightly different in terms how we do it, but um, still these um, America first, Europe first, um, that's, that's the way many people think, China first from, from their perspective. And I think it's a, um, a very risky game that we are playing right now um, because when, you, when we talk, for instance, about quantum computing or artificial intelligence, if one, either, the Western, either the Western world or the, the um, Eastern world, whoever, if we um, have a conflict and one party gets through a crucial tipping point in the terms of development, it's a completely the winner takes it all game. It will be different to the nuclear age we had when, we, when the Cold War came up. It will be one part of the world will dominate the rest of the world. Because within a couple of years, you'll make progress of thousands of years and you have, will have such a huge um, advantage in terms of knowledge, in terms of infrastructure, in terms of weapons, in terms of everything. Um, and also, if you keep in mind that the next big war would most likely be a cyber war. If one is still using um, um, an arrow and the other one has a, a, a super uh, space weapon, it's just dangerous for, for both parties. Do we really want to sit on a table where it's the winner takes it all? Or do we want to make sure that all of us will benefit from things that will happen. That could be the solution for so many challenges we are facing for, for such a long time as a species. And, um, and how do we get that done? Yeah, it's a mammoth task of, 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 the, of our species today. And yeah, that was one of the reasons why I thought I, I write that book even with the danger of being called a globalist uh, or whatever. There will probably be um, even less nicer things that people may say about me after they read the book. But that's fine. Yeah? Because I know if you want to get a message across, you need to polarize to a certain point. Mm -hmm. And if you create an hopefully appealing story, it's, it's just nature of the story that there are people who like it and people who don't. Mm. And in the times we are living in, um, with the social media world and everything that goes along with it, um, yeah, you can um, argue about a lot of things and people just say not so nice things. Um, that's the, the way it is. But at the end of the day, we somehow need to find a way in the, on, a, on a small and local level, but also on a global level to get together again. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we won't be able to solve the challenges ahead of us. It's 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 brave for you to 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 kind of step out, uh, kind of like you know. I mean, imagine just look at all the the hate that poor uh, Greta, Greta Thunberg got for 
at her age coming out and saying our world's dying and and we're we're gonna hit a point soon where there is no saving it and you know i want a future on this planet and the older people are you know the bureaucrats and all that are killing it off and look at what she got you know mm-hmm. especially from sadly uh my country you know how we treated a poor child on social media for speaking out on her beliefs about saving the planet um and and here you are doing the same thing like if this makes me a globalist i'm going to use a dystopian vehicle in this book to deliver this this thought process and and like you said i mean there are far worse things that you could be called for for simply just stating like look this is the direction where we could be heading but it, we don't have to we don't have to head in that direction if we unite and if we help one another and work with one another so i mean i guess if i say anything i you know that's very brave of you especially in the climate of today i, I think it's I wouldn't define it as being being brave so much because at the end of the day, what I try to do with my book, it's less about answering questions. It's more about asking questions. Mm. So of course, um, sometimes even if you ask questions, they somehow, there is an answer somewhere between the lines, what you think would be the best. So, but that's not what my book is about. It's not a playbook. Like, we just need to go do A, B, and C, and then everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. So um, if our world decides together that we go into that direction, and I would prefer another direction, that's the way it is. But um, I think it would be healthy if more people would get involved into that decision-making process. Mm-hmm. And to start asking questions and to start taking that step back and taking a look at the at the bigger picture and from my experience in life um, being an entrepreneur um, or being a father being whatever it's what many people often struggle with they are stuck in their daily routine and they don't have that time to take that step back but that's important. That makes the difference. If you are a successful company or not, it's the difference to take that step back and look at the, at the bigger picture on a regular base. So, and, um, and I believe that the same applies to our society as well. So I'm not able to judge my skills as being a father. I guess there it's, it's slightly different, but still there, I would say it's for, for your family life, it's also healthy to sometimes trying to get out of a daily routine, step back and take a look at the bigger picture and see if things are moving into the right direction or no or not. And if not, what can you do to get them back to the right direction, but also to um, be aware of how many things you're already doing good because that's something that we are very good in our times as well to focus on the things that are going not perfect, that are not so good and losing out of sight that there are so many things that we have in common, that there are so many things that we are doing a great job, that there are so many things that where we 
as a society and in the world are already doing so much better than a couple of decades or a couple of centuries ago. We achieved so many things in such a short period of time. If you look on a, on a really big scale of the thousands of years we are already on this planet, I mean, it's still a very short period of time, of course, if you compare it to um, the age of our planet. Yes. And we are just short-term visitors, and we should keep that in mind um, as often as possible. But um, still, if you look back how our world looked like thousand years ago, or even 100 years ago. Mm. We made so much progress and we were able to move so many things into the right direction or into a better direction um, than we were able to for centuries before. Are we still there yet? Are we still doing good? Are we still making the best out of it? No, definitely not. There are many things that we could do better. And, um, yeah, and to find a, a common sense and uh, to create a healthy climate um, to collaborate in a, in a more, uh, yeah, in, in a better, better way than we did in the past. For a few, a couple of years now, um, our president, before he was elected president, uh, Biden, he says, and I don't want to get too political. I'm just quoting him. Uh, There's nothing we can't do as a country if we do it together. I would go even further. There's nothing we can't do as a planet. If we do mm. it together, and it's true. I mean, if, if we if we were to work on certain things as an entire planet, world hunger, climate change, uh, infrastructure stuff like that, there is nothing we couldn't conquer as Earthlings. <laughs> uh, if if uh, as long as we did it together, so uh, I completely agree with you. Um, but I have to ask. Have you always had this, this mentality, this, this drive to where you, you know, did it, did it just click as a teenager where you, you know, as a kid, did you think this way? I mean, when did this, you know, did you just like, I'm going to reinvent my life and this is what I'm going to do with it. Or have you just always been like, I just want to make the world a better place. However, um, I think there were several like milestones or turning points in my life. So there, there was one particular turning point on the, when I like being 18 or 19 years old, I had a conversation with my, with my oldest brother. I had pretty wild teenage years and was pretty good and doing bad and stupid things. <laughs> and um, so then my oldest brother once said to me, Felix, have you ever thought you you can be so focused, you can put so much energy into things if you're interested into something. Today, you do a lot of stupid things that are not good. Have you ever thought about taking that energy and instead of doing illegal whatever things and use it for something positive? And um, I, I have gotten that conversation quite a bit from my parents throughout my life. So uh, I understand. And again, my parents somehow didn't get that message across as well as my brother did somehow. So um, he probably just caught me at the, in the right mood and the right time of my life so that it just made click and really changed my life. So um, then 
Um, I um, yeah, started to work in the, in the IT marketing industry. I always had the dream of, of founding my own business one day. Then I did that together with my oldest brother who had that conversation with me. And um, yeah, then I was focused on, on doing business for quite a while of my life um, and um, yeah, doing things there. And once I get to a position where our company started to grow and got bigger and we worked for more like leading brands of the, of the world. And um, then I got the, the opportunities to combine what I did work-wise with things that I thought would be beneficial for our society. So we started to run some cause marketing campaigns and trying to convince global brands to not only trying to sell as many products as they could, but sometimes there are opportunities where you can do that, but you can do something good at the same time. And we worked for some of the yeah, leading NGOs of the world, like UNICEF. Um, it was like interesting to, yeah, to see what you can do and achieve with um, yeah, the, the tools and technologies we have at our hand to do something good. And um, then we sold our business in 2017 um, to one of the leading IT companies of the world, to Cognizant. And at the end of 2018, I um, took a year off a sabbatical to travel the world with my family. After, for me, it was like when I still attended school, I already started to work. So I never had that typical... I go to university and take some month off and travel a bit and so on. When I went to university, I already worked full time. So, and um, already ran my own business. And so then I thought, okay, now I take all the vacation that all my friends took over the last two decades in that one year. So um, I was in a, in a happy situation. I was very lucky um, our kids, um, we're in an age where you can travel with them. They are not in school yet. Uh, my wife was still on maternity leave. And um, so we had a great time. And my plan was to first like really let it go and don't think about business or the future or whatever at all. Um, and then in the second half of the year to think, what should I do with the, in, in the future? And what are the things I'm really passionate about? And uh, yeah, what do I wanna do? And um, there came the idea that um, how can I combine the things that I learned in the past and um, like doing consulting for companies in the field of digital transformation. And it's still something I love doing and I, I still do for some clients on a different level than I did in the past because I'm not there 24 seven doing the strategic advice, building websites, running campaigns, and like we were a digital for marketing service agency. Um, more like being a sparings partner on an executive level. And, but also like, um, how can I use my time to give something back? Because I was very lucky in my life. And um, I enjoyed writing books in the past. In the past, I already wrote some professional books about digital transformation, shift in the media landscape and so on. But um, I thought it would be a good idea. That's something I thought about for already a couple of years. I had that idea to write a novel, like a tech thriller already for a couple of years, but I never had the time because I was you know, stuck in the daily business of the, of the company. 
and now I had the time. So and um, and also with I'm I'm doing some yeah, startup investments and uh, I'm a member of advisory boards of, of company and stuff like that, like company building. And best case, I have companies there as well who have a, a, a good business case, but also do something good at the at the same time. For just to give you an example, there is one one company. It's um, it's the, the mission or the vision of the founder of that company. He's from East East Africa. He's from uh, from Kenya, and his vision is that within his generation, um, Africa should get to a point where um, it can feed itself. And um, so, and it's about its agriculture business and it's um, combining really high tech solutions like satellite solutions, put them on a cloud platform, connecting services on that cloud platform that are beneficial for farmers in, in Kenya in a low tech environment where people access this high tech services, not via a smartphone as the ones that probably most of us have in their pockets, but they still have fe so-called feature phones, like the old phones we had one or two decades ago. So, and um, yeah, so you, you have an interesting business case in an, in an area with a lot of opportunities, but still the, the vision and mission of the company is something where I think it could turn the world into a better place, that we can use our technologies to improve the efficiency and productivity of farmers in, um, in Eastern Africa. Great, yeah, it doesn't hurt anybody in the Western world and it, it just helps um, people who were not as lucky as we in the lottery of life um, and were born in a um, healthy, rich country um, to uh, give something back because that's something I, also address in my book, because I think it's important that we keep that in mind, that we didn't do anything that I'm German, that you are US, that most of us were born in that place. Of course, there are people who made their way there. That's something different. Yeah? Yeah. But the majority are people um, who were just lucky. Yeah? Talking about myself, yeah? if, um, I'm just a lucky guy, born in, in the right family at the right spot of the world. And um, I didn't do anything for that. I was just lucky. So, and it, I could have been born in Africa or wherever where things look different. For instance, my wife, her, her family, her father is from Peru, from South America. So if you look there, I mean, the, the country improved a lot within the last couple of decades, but um, still. Things are very, very different compared to the to the Western world. So, and yeah. actually, if you hear the stories from like 10, 20 years ago, when my wife talks about her trips to Peru back when she was a kid, and the kids there were starving, begging for for a dime, and um, yeah, but you can see how the the country moved forward in the in the last. Um, decades but um still yeah we were just lucky and need to keep that in mind and i think we are well advised to yeah trying to bring everything somehow to uh, to the same level and um, help people who were not as lucky as we to get into a better position
Because Is again, that the advice you would give, like, say, a 15 year old or an 18 year old or a 25 year old, you know, they're making their way and they're in college or fresh out of college or about to go to college, you know, these prime moments and our, our growing up and our becoming adults. And even even at 32, you know, things change and I become a different person than I was two years ago, three years ago, whatever. Um, so what is that the advice that you would give them? Uh, what would, you know, how can, how can they, how can they better the futures? What are some, what's some, some tips you would give them? Unfortunately, there's not that um, one size fits all advice, mm -hmm. not that simple playbook um, that you just need to uh, take these simple three steps and we will turn our world into a better place. Things are more more complicated and, and uh, more challenging. But I think we um, that in the last century our world got a lot smaller in terms of technology, in terms of traveling, in uh, terms of immigration, in terms of um, combining different cultures, um, experiencing different cultures, and I think that. People, once they start talking with each other, and once a stranger turns into somebody you had a conversation with, you have a completely different view of that person or of that part of the world or whatever. And we have so many opportunities nowadays to turn the world into a smaller and better place. And that we um, yeah, should keep in mind how important that is and how gifted we are that we are living in in a time like that and that we should be careful that we don't destroy that because currently we are moving back from from the best case scenario of turning the world into a better place and to bring people together and um yeah and my belief is that what, what we had before that if we collaborate we can make everything happen. And if we don't, then we just slow us down unnecessarily because we waste energy for conflicts that don't lead us anywhere. And um, in times of, of such fundamental change as we are facing right now, we would probably be well advised to use our energy on a local, on a national, and on a international and on a global level in the most efficient way as possible because there are some challenges that, um, yeah, if it's global warming, if it's the technological revolution I'm talking about, if it's um, yeah, things like that, that um, the more people get involved to find the right answers, the more diverse the people of group is to find these answers, the better. Tennessee Legend Distillery was founded in 2015 and has quickly become one of the top distilleries for natural extracts and ingredients in its spirits. With no high fructose corn syrup, artificial sweeteners, or harmful ingredients, Tennessee Legend Distillery has four locations in the state of Tennessee without Newport, Sevierville, Cookville, and Nashville distilleries. You see, at Tennessee Legend Distillery, we have spent more time focused on the quality of our spirits than the number of our stores. 
We have a great selection of non-flavored spirits as well, like vodka, bourbon, whiskey, and gin. Tennessee Legend Distillery has multiple awards and medals for state, national, and international spirit contests, and even carries 2019's Best Tasting Whiskey in the state of Tennessee with our Salted Caramel 60 Proof Whiskey. We offer discounts for veterans, active military, nurses, police officers, firefighters, first responders, and even multiple bottle discounts. Don't live in Tennessee? We ship to select states. Go to GACraftSpirits.com to see if we deliver to you. That's G-A-C-R-A-F-T-S-P-I-R-I-T-S dot com. If you stop by the Sevierville location, tell them 30 and Nerdy Podcast sent you and be a legend with Tennessee Legend Distillery by receiving a free shot glass and 15% off of your order. What are you waiting for? Cheers to you. So back to the book and technologies that you're talking about. We've mentioned we've mentioned a few uh, like AI, uh, biotech, uh, genetic engineering. How close are we? Uh, in your opinion, to these tipping points in uh, that technology? In my opinion, one of the really crucial factors that could be a significant game changer is computing power, because that's a bottleneck in different fields of um, if it's AI, if it's biotech. Um, we are not able to, to handle this huge amount of data that we produce. For instance, if we talk about AI, um, in the field of artificial intelligence, the computing power of the fastest supercomputer today is equivalent to the brain of a honeybee. So, and imagine what we are already able to do in certain fields with AI. So we haven't reached the um, level of so-called artificial general intelligence yet, where an AI is able to do every mental, uh, to solve every mental task as a human can. And we are still far apart of it. But the bottleneck is computing power. Biotech, the same. We, today we um, produce, it takes us two years to produce the amount of data DNA data that the, our whole species produced since we are there. So, and this process accelerates. So it's not that we are producing less data. No, we are producing way more data. Mm. So, and the challenge with all of that is that um, we're just not able to handle these parts of data, of, of these, these huge amounts of data. So once we get the um, quantum computers up and running, the promise of quantum computing is that a quantum computer can solve tasks that a traditional or the fastest supercomputer today needs for these complex calculations, needs thousands of years. A quantum computer could solve these tasks within seconds. So, and we are not so far apart of making that happen. 
So, but again, nobody knows it will happen one, five, 10, 20, 30 years. And usually scientists say um, it will take a long time. It will take, it's more likely that it will take decades. But there are so many examples in the past where scientists said it will take a couple of decades and somebody had a catch 42 moment and just thought the unthinkable and made the impossible possible. And what makes this more, more likely than in the past is our access to knowledge today. So when you take a look back 100 years, um, in the last 100 years, the um, population, the global population grow by four times and or quadrupled, I think is the right word, word in English. And um, the number of people going to university in the same time um, increased 400 times. So 100 years ago, Einstein lived. And Einstein was somebody um, who quite fundamentally questioned our way of thinking. He just thought different than anybody else before. And there are some people like that in, in history who, whose way of thinking fundamentally changed our, our view of the universe. And, um, and these are the type of people we need to make the, the next big steps. Because what usually happens is that we try to apply our knowledge of today and our way of thinking to, of today into new fields that we enter or new areas that we enter. And usually that doesn't work. So um, we need to get to a level where yeah, we get through that bottleneck and somebody has this thought. And this can happen pretty much every day. So, um, and once this, this tipping point of um, quantum computing and computing power, we pass that tipping point, then it, there will be a big bang of innovation in a very, very short period of time. And they're already, crazy things happening if you if you um, get a little bit deeper into the, the quantum world yeah which is super fascinating and for instance what um, goes hand in hand with quantum computing if we are talking about huge amount of data then uh, we also talk about latency meaning how to get data from a to b mm -hmm. so if we have this huge amount of data and we were already able to make quantum teleportation happen, which means transmitting information from A to B without physically transmitting it. So it's called quantum entanglement, which is one of the core principles of, of yeah, the quantum world, that if you change the status of a, um, uh, yeah, of a qubit here, mm -hmm. it instantly changes here as well of this, this particle, no matter how far apart they are. So. And these are things that are already happening today. So um, yeah, this is just one very simple, one of the many exciting things that are happening in that yeah, quantum world today. And again, this quantum world is just one piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. And that hopefully illustrates that um, yeah, things can, could go very, very fast. Um, but again, it could start anywhere else. Somebody has a great idea in the field of AI that helps us to solve the problem to make quantum computing work. Could also happen. So nobody knows what will happen next, but um, yeah. I mean, yeah. we have Siri and Siri is, you know, a form of AI, 
not uh, somewhat self-aware, but not truly self-aware. You know, you can just say her name and here she is. Um, mm. So, so that just was an idea, you know, just up to a few years ago, we didn't even have her or, yep. or, or okay, Google or, or whatever, you know, the AI quote unquote uh, box that people have in their houses uh, now that has been proven to listen in from time to time, even without hearing their name. So another question is, and as, as you know, this is a nerd podcast, so very heavy into the Marvel and the DC world in both, in both comic book realms, a lot of superheroes uh, that are popular, like the vision and Marvel is a humanoid, an AI synthetic humanoid or Android. How close, if not already, are we to humanoids being a day of uh, just just a day in our life? Um, that's a very um, good, interesting question. Um, I want to talk about one thing first because humanoid is one thing. Um, there's also another development or exciting development happening right now. That's how artificial and human intelligence will merge. So we already know that humans are based on biological or biochemical algorithms. That's how we made our, make our decisions. That's how our body, our brain and so on works. So, so it's nothing, it's not so much different to the binary code we have in the field of IT. So yes, it's different how it works, but still it's just pure logic. Today, we are not able to understand that logic. We, we hardly can decode it and can't code in, uh, or transfer information in, into that world. But for instance, we already have technologies where that can read your thoughts. So where you just think something and it pops up at the screen. So that's something that's already possible today. And um, so, and once we past that point, again, the, the question of computing power, being able to translate that biochemical algorithms that are happening within our bodies and create a two-way exchange instead of having a very simple one-way street like we have today, then we are already getting very close to the humanoid uh, question. Would also be an interesting scenario in terms of that one of the main fears people have about artificial intelligence and uh, artificial general intelligence is what happens if the AI gets smarter than us? Because once it reaches the point that it's as smart as we are, it probably won't stop at that point. So, um, and what will happen if that AI thinks, frankly, these humans are just troublemakers. <laughs> it would make things so much easier. So, and, but if you combine human and artificial intelligence, you create dependencies on, on both ends that this scenario gets more unlikely. So, um, and yeah, and the, the typical like definition of humanoids, like uh, combining robotic, things with, with humans, um, yeah, 
for me, the, the part of merging artificial and um, human intelligence is way more uh, interesting and um, the bigger game changer than um, having humanoids. But once you are at the level of, that's a scenario also outlined in my book, that we reach that level of um, merging human and artificial intelligence, there will be robots where you won't be able to tell the difference to a human being. So the Turing test, the, the test that tests AIs, if you can tell the difference between a chatbot and a human being, mm. um, if you apply that Turing test to, to robots, once we cross that tipping point in terms of technology, um, I'm, I believe that um, yeah, there will be humanoids that do tasks that we just don't want to do. And then again, there um, this could create great opportunities if we use these type of technologies right, but it could also turn in a super dystopian nightmare if we screw it up. I mean, we already have chatbots that cause a lot of issues on social media whether it's at elections or um, false news in nerd culture even has chatbot issues. Like a certain website prints a story and like, you know, Zack Snyder just released his, his cut of the Justice League. There are chatbots in uh, Facebook groups that just are there to spread hate about his version of the movie just to get us who enjoyed it riled up and angry. Mm -hmm. So we already deal with that somewhat artificial chat bot, as you said, today. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's just 2021. And so, so I, 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 I don't, me personally, um, without going too deep into the rabbit hole uh, on the podcast, um, I don't think we're that far off. Absolutely. And again, keep in mind the comparison I just made with today, the computing power of that AI is the level of a honeybee. Mm. What will happen if it reaches the level of a mouse or of a dog or of a monkey or of a human being? Mm. And still the possibilities that are there today can already scare the heck out of you. Yeah? And, um, and then combined with the exponential growth of knowledge of technology that we mentioned earlier, yeah, you don't need to be a rocket scientist that there will be crazy things happening in a very short period of time. And then we get back to the point, there are certain th scenarios that are just most likely that they will happen. Mm -hmm. How do we deal with these, these developments? And should we just all lean back and wait until things happen? Or should we have um, a, a broad conversation within our society and um, to discuss these type of topics? And how can we get this started? So that's something that I also try to do in my book that once I finish the, the story and show the light at the end of the tunnel, to uh, not leave the reader completely alone with that, but trying to say, okay, these are certain things that you could consider if 
this book made you start thinking about these fundamental questions and how you could contribute your, your little part to that mammoth task of, of humanity. Because that's basically what all of us can only do. There is only so much each of us can do, but if we do it together, again, small parts combined together can create something very, very big. Mm. So another thing I wanted to discuss with you, uh, something that I learned during the pandemic uh, when scouring Netflix, uh, watching the documentary, The Social Dilemma, which mm -hmm. after watching it, I immediately turned off notifications and location services on my phone and my computer and all that stuff. Uh, they used a term called surveillance capitalism. Mm -hmm. And like, for instance, my phone might either hear me say, or I've looked up on Amazon a, a new hat from Jensen Ackles Brewery in Texas, family business brewery. In a few hours, I'm going to see an ad on my Facebook, my Twitter, my Instagram of that, that precise thing. Uh, and it's in Hulu commercials. It's in Netflix. It's in uh Whatever your streaming device is, if you still have cable, it's on cable commercials. It's, it's surveillance capitalism. How far, if not, if not how far they've already gone as companies, how far are these companies willing to go to increase how much surveillance capitalism they're using and how dangerous can it get? Again, that's something I outline in my book like a future scenario how far can you go with these types of technologies? Because again, what we are doing today is still very simple, very basic in terms of possibilities, in terms of technology, in terms of data that we have, um, and so on. And still, it's crazy what you can do. And it's also a good um, uh, bridge back to 1984 we were talking about earlier. Yeah, that um, we even took it further than George Orwell imagined it. And yeah. his scenario is already super scary. Yeah. And um, yeah, but the televisor is, 1984 is so basic compared to the uh, smartphones and computers we use today. And we are not forced to use them. We are doing it because we want to. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if you now combine that with the topic I mentioned earlier with um, merging artificial and human intelligence. In Germany, there's a song that used to be sang in the, in the mid ages. Uh, it's like thoughts are free. You can't hunt them or shoot them. Yeah? Uh, and we are getting to a world where you can hunt and shoot these thoughts. Yeah, you already can do it to a certain level with, uh, with prediction models today that uh, we have in the field of AI. But still, what I mentioned earlier, it's still basic. Yeah, people are thinking we are in the middle of a digital revolution and hopefully it will be over sometime soon. No, we are not. 
Yeah, the, this digital revolution has hardly started yet. And um, yes, that's scary, but that's what's happening. That's what's most likely to happen in the near time and, and midtime future. And again, then we always get back to the, to the point. That's why I'm so passionate about talking these topics and why I wrote that book and why I think more people need to get involved into it. It's, we know it's coming. Yeah. So what can we do about it? And how do we handle these, these topics? And do we just want to wait until it happens? Or should we have a conversation about it first and uh, at least try to, to find some compromises and some uh, yeah, solutions, how we, how we will handle that, that challenges? Because otherwise, um, yeah, everything will be screwed up. Well, one of the last questions that I wanted to ask you is, um, aside from asking ourselves specific questions heading into this post-pandemic world, you know, keeping ourselves from going this dystopian, would you say that it's a plus that everyone try that one step we can make is to at least have a basic understanding of, uh, of I IT? at least try to to educate ourselves on a basic understanding so that maybe we can somewhat uh, soften the fear of that change because it will help us learn that it is coming and it is possible. And, and we individually, you know, like you and I, if we didn't want it to happen, we're just two people. It's still going to happen. You know, this this change is coming. So with a basic knowledge of IT, you know, however we would go about doing that, whether it's educating ourselves or, you know, reading more and and doing these research and fact checking and all that stuff about the the digital revolution that's as you said, is just a, an infant at this point. It's just getting started. Um, would you say that that's one thing that we can do? Absolutely. That's um one of the very important pieces in the in the puzzle that we need to address because right now there is a tremendous mismatch between the knowledge of the um, in the wider society and in, in the general public to what's happening and this starts in school but this goes through all ages because things are happening so fast if we only teach it to our kids it won't do the job everybody needs to get involved and um, and that at the end of the day is what um, what i try to do with my book as well i think we are well advised to find as many ways as possible because some people want to learn something they take a book and read a book some people don't intrinsically try to learn it but they are somehow interested into it so um how can we create stories at the end of the day, my book is kind of an edutainment book. Yeah, combine, trying to combine a, a lecture with um, something enjoyable. Mm -hmm. yeah? And I think there are many different ways how you can do that because human beings are so different that um, we have different methods, different ways how we gain new knowledge, different preferences, how we want to consume these, these knowledge or even how we don't want to consume it. So, um, but still it's important that people, that, that we teach these things and that people get a better understanding of IT because you need to have a certain level of understanding 
to, to talk about these issues. If you don't know something about it, um, then the, the conversation will probably won't lead you anywhere. So you, I think it's essential that uh, people have a certain basic understanding of uh, information technology because we are living in a digital world. So it's, yeah. yes, this happened very fast, um, but still what I mentioned, there is a huge mismatch between the world we are living in and the knowledge that we are sharing and that we are teaching and um, how we teach things um, and so on. Again, something um, I guess the pandemic showed pretty much globally, the huge mismatch between uh, the opportunities of IT and, and technology to teach, but uh, compared to the reality, what's happening in, in most schools and most universities and so on. That's awesome. I mean, this has been not just eye-opening, but uh, fantastic uh, getting to talk to you. Um, I can't wait to finish your book. Uh, if you will please let the, the listeners know how they can find your book and how they can purchase it. Um, of course, you can just visit the website, catch-42.com. Um, there you find a purchase button, and but you can purchase it pretty much everywhere, at Amazon, at uh, Apple Books, at Google Play, uh, Barnes & Noble hopefully will be up and running in a couple of days as well. Um, so pretty much at, at every major uh, book outlet. Hopefully you'll find it at a local store as well, but that's a long journey because um, it's my, my first novel. It's not like the wait, the world is waiting for me to publish my book. And um, so, um, but I love dreaming big and thinking big. Um, that's why I wrote the book in English instead of my my. Um, Native. My first language, German, so I wrote it in my second uh, language, English. Um, again, because the topics I'm addressing in the book don't know any human-made borders, so my book shouldn't know that borders as well. And, uh, and yeah, the, the language I'm most comfortable with that most people speak is English. And um, yeah, so hopefully you'll find it at, a, uh, at your favorite bookstore. Otherwise, go to one of the of the big major players um, and you'll definitely find it there as a book and major a players player. in the digital world uh, excuse me major players in the digital world because we are in a digital world exactly so are you on social media is there do you, does the book have a social media or are you on social media um yes i am on social media so you find me on um, facebook on linkedin on twitter on instagram um, yeah, and there is the catch42.com website. And the book itself don't has um, its own social media channels. Um, it's usually it's my personal channels, me being the author of the book. Awesome. Well, thank you very much uh, for doing this, Felix. Yeah, thanks for having me and thanks for the interesting questions. Thanks for the, for the interesting conversation. Uh, absolutely. And I, I, I highly recommend this book. Uh, just as far as I've gotten uh, in getting to get a, a just a taste of it before we sat down. I can't wait to finish it. 
uh, which I'm probably going to do over the next few days. Uh, and then I will probably find you on social media and just want to talk more about this. Uh, and I hope to have you back on in the future after some time has gone by to see the success of this book, because uh, I can't wait to see what, what comes of it. Yeah, I'm uh, happy to come back anytime. And of course, I'm looking back to your feedback once you finish the book. And um, also, please, everybody else who's listening today and who reads the book, um, I think it's the, the greatest thing for an author to get some feedback from, from people who read the book because you're in your own world, in your ivory tower while, while doing that. And it's just super exciting now to... Um, see and learn uh, what people think about the book, what makes them think, and to discuss the questions and topics I address in Raising My Book. So please just reach out. Great. Well, nerds, thank you for tuning in to uh, this episode and this uh, interview with Felix. I highly recommend you go check out his book, Catch 42, uh, out this month, and you, he has told you where to find that. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Treat each other with respect. Treat each other well. Treat yourself well. And as always, cheers to you, nerds. You've been listening to the 30 and Nerdy Podcast, the flagship show of Badcast Company Productions. Thirty and Nerdy Podcast is an alternate reality radio show, a member of the Legion of Independent Podcasts, and part of the Council of Nerds. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Join in on the conversation using the hashtag 30andNerdyPod. You can find us and other amazing podcasts at podchaser.com by searching The Apodalypse and PodNation. Got something to say? Email us at 30andnerdypod at gmail.com or find us at 30andnerdypodcast.com. This has been the 30andnerdypodcast. Cheers to you, nerds. Nerds.